to Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. It's episode 91 after we took a week off, but we didn't really intend to. Some circumstances beyond our control. Um, my work schedule ended. The Whitey Red Sox were bounced from the playoffs earlier this week in the semifinals. We came up short. It's okay. Great summer on Cape Cod. Leaving Cape Cod today. Hence why we're recording earlier on Sunday before the finale against the Phillies. Jack, we also didn't record because you broke a string of being COVID-less in this pandemic by testing positive earlier this week, but you're feeling a little bit better? Yeah, feeling a little better. Uh, I had tickets to the DeGrom game that I had bought months in advance, um, not knowing it would be a DeGrom game. And like, as as we got closer, I re- and I realized it was a DeGrom game. I was getting so excited. And then, you know, I test positive on Tuesday and had to sell them. Kind of sucked. I'm feeling better now, though. Um, can't kill me. Uh, you can't. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm also just, I guess, a little bit uh, bummed that I couldn't, like, fully enjoy the aftermath of, of last week as much because I had to worry about this thing, but like I can more, I, you know, I can enjoy it now. They're playing really well. The Mets are really good. This is, we probably, uh, this is probably, I, I'd say like the highest of highs that we've ever been on. Yeah. Just it's... in terms of this Mets team, like that last week was just freaking awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to be back and talking about that. Um, I guess I just, I wish COVID hadn't happened, but like, whatever um we're fine now uh the yeah. team is very good so i'm, I'm definitely um I'm definitely- we're vibing we're vibing yeah. with this baseball team right now because obviously it's unfortunate the timing that we just couldn't match up and um and then you know we made the decision to just kind of let you rest for the week um because the mets had their best series probably of the year that five game series we talk about it, I think in our last episode when we were leading into that series, you were kind of talking about how, you know, you always t- tend to take the pessimistic side in advance of those big series. Um, and this team just keeps proving you wrong when you're like, oh, you know, we just need to win two of those five games, keep us af- afloat in the division. And then they win four of five. Yeah. Like this team had, oh my God, it's they're just, a, they're fun, man. It really, it really felt like the Braves were dead and buried at the end of that thing, too. I mean, we get to Sunday, that last inning with Diaz pitching. I mean, we'll get through the whole series. We'll talk at length about it since we should. But, like, they just looked so ready to get out of there. The whole thing yeah. was just a, like us dancing on a grave. It's funny because this Braves series that's coming up, um, you know, they're five and a half back right now, and it's another four-game series. So, theoretically, like, it's not really, like, they're not out of the picture just yet. Like the division still isn't over, but for all intents and purposes, like last Sunday watching it happen, it felt as over as it could have been. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it was, it was, it was great. Yeah. Those, uh, the Braves are felony frauds. As we like to say, they only beat up on bad teams. However, they do be playing a lot of bad teams. So um, the Braves, there's a legitimate chance the Braves could be a 9,500 win team and finish under 500 against teams with winning records. Like that is within the realm of possibility here. Um, 
they get their schedule gets a smidge harder through the rest of the way. The Mets schedule after about the next three series gets a smidge easier. We'll talk about the upcoming schedule. They got the four more in Atlanta after they wrap up this series against the Phillies. Then they head to Philly for three more. Then they get the Yankees for two. And then from then on out, only nine more games against good baseball teams, a series with the Dodgers, a series in Milwaukee and a series in Atlanta at the very end of the year with seven against the pirates, six against the Nats and five against the Marlins um, mixed in there with plus the Rocky series that's coming up. So winnable baseball from here on out for the New York Mets, which is great. The Mets are on pace to win 105 baseball games. They came out of the deadline winning 16 of 18 prior to that loss against the Phillies in the opening game of the series. No, it's 16 of 18 now. It was 16 of 18 now. It was 15 of 17, like a loss and a win. It's 16 and, or no, I guess 16 of 19 now. Yeah. 16 of 19, but yeah. Okay. So I got, I got the math wrong there. Um, But no, that's they've lost three times since the trade deadline. A trade deadline when we were bemoaning the fact that this team didn't do enough, that they yeah. overpaid, that they overpaid for Darren Ruff, who has been like a good acquisition. Listen, the moves they made have worked out, yeah. have worked out exceptionally well. Every single move, for the most part, with the exception of Michael Givens, who, outside of that first outing, has been like fine. Right. Like I know he gave up the go-ahead run in extras against the Phillies in the opening game of that series on Friday, but like. He didn't give up a hit. That was just the free runner that wound up scoring. Yeah, so, and I think, yeah, even even just within the, the timeline of the deadline itself, I don't think anybody would cons- would have considered any of the players the Mets acquired to have been, like, substandard players. They were all good players that they brought in. It was simply a question of, is this enough good prior to this series against the Braves? And, like, it's it's also, I mean, you mentioned how it's, um, you know, how it's, how it's been good since then. It was obviously very good timing for us. Cause if this deadline had been on like Sunday and we had spent all of Sunday ahead of the series talking about how not ready this front office had, had been like, cause I was really, I mean, I was totally on one during this deadline. Um, I really thought they needed a catcher. They still kind of, I mean, I guess they still do kind of need a catcher, but I was really pissed about the bullpen. It hasn't, really ended up being much of an issue like it's good for us that the Mets gave us something better to talk about in time for what would have been the episode and obviously now I mean they've given us even more to talk about yeah um like it's it's good timing for us because usually especially me and my you know and my um overwhelming optimism about everything like it it would have been great radio I think to hear me talk about this at length yeah, um, so I'm glad that they won. I'm glad that they shut that off for us. Um, yeah, and the I guys mean, are good. Like, the, good yeah, it's a good baseball team, and the acquisitions to the offense, like these guys are not stars, obviously, but they bring an element to the team into the offense that I think just fortifies. Like, it's already it was already a good offensive unit. I think that's what people don't really look and think about the Mets as is that there was all this narrative about how the Mets didn't hit the baseball hard and that the Mets were the luckiest team in baseball. Yeah. Do we want to, do we want to just rip into that? I I mean, we can, we can get into it. I've got a whole spiel here in my head, but like, obviously we can get to the Spencer Strider of it all in just a second. But um, yeah, there was, I mean, that narrative has followed this team the whole season that they're, 
they have great starting pitching and they have best closer in baseball, which is that has been bumped up lately as Edwin Diaz has kind of jumped forward into the mainstream with his his walking song, which has been really fun. Uh, but you know, they have a couple good hitters, but they don't really hit the ball out of the ballpark as much as other teams, and they don't really hit for as much power as other teams, and they walk, but they don't walk at an elite rate, and they don't strike out a whole lot, so they put the ball in play, but they don't always hit the ball super hard, and those that's going to catch up to them, and the offense is going to struggle in the second half as a result. I don't know if that's true anymore. Like, with the acquisitions that they made, with the three guys they brought in on the offensive side to take up plate appearances from lackluster players. You know, Dom Smith is in AAA. J.D. Davis is a San Francisco Giant now. Uh, the only hole in this lineup now, now that you fortified the DH spot and added another outfielder, really is the catcher. And Tomas Nito even had a good week. Like, Naquin, Ruff, and Vogelbach have been outstanding. Like, obviously, the book on Vogelbach is that he gets on base at an astounding rate. He is uh, uh, an elite walker. He does not swing at pitches outside the strike zone, and he mashes right-hand pitching. That's exactly what he's done. He's got a couple of home runs. He's gotten on base at a high clip. He's been a big acquisition for those uh, games against right-handed starters. Darren Ruff has been a great platoon option. He's had some big hits in a short, a short tenure with the Mets, still waiting on him to go deep for the first time, but he was brought in as a lefty masher and a guy who can complement Dan Vogelback, and he's done exactly that. And Tyler Naquin was an average player, literally an average player. We're talking like OPS plus at like 99 and 0.0 F war, like literally league average player. And he got to New York and he's leading the team in ISO since he got here. Yeah. He's been an extra base hit machine. And then you add yeah, in the combined slash line that they have right now is like, I think it's three. I have it here. It's 314, 380 have, have given the match. Hold on, Jack. Hold on. Sorry. Can you, can you repeat that slash line? I think you froze a little on the Zoom. Sure. Happy to. Uh, since these three guys have uh, come in in 100 at bats between Vogelback, Naquin and Ruff, they're batting 314, they're on basing 386, they're slugging 588, and that's in 100 at-bats. That's a phenomenal line. That's, that's a that's phenomenal. Not, that's not even a Matt Stairs line. That's, that's, that's like a Jock Peterson in the playoffs line. That's it's, a full-season MVP line. Yes, that's like a Paul Goldschmidt line. Like you slug, You've slugged 587 in the regular season for a 600 at-bat sample. You're finishing top five in MVP at minimum. Like That is yeah. elite stuff. So these guys have been yeah. – so good for this team. And then Givens has been like fine, uh, has fortified the bullpen a little bit. Obviously, getting a left-handed pitcher would have been really great, um, but there was no deal to be made there, I guess. And yeah. even though they overpaid a little for Ruff, I think that's the general opinion on the matter. Um, yeah, They didn't want to give away too, too much. Like if Andrew Chafin was going to cost too much, then sure, don't trade for Andrew Chafin. That's okay. Uh, obviously a left-hander would be really great to have in this bullpen because I don't think anyone really trusts Joey Rodriguez even outside of that series, that performance against the Braves where he went two and a third, which was really cool. Um, yeah. uh, you know, Trevor May has come back and has looked really, really great. Seth Lugo, I think they're using him more smartly. There's been less back-to-backs. 
um, which has been mostly where he's faltered this year. And he's been pretty steady for about a month or so now. So the bullpen maybe isn't quite as much of a liability with Givens and Trevor May in tow. Um, Right now, this is just a good baseball team. And they're playing very good baseball. And if they can wrap things up with the Phillies today, that would be really, really great. Um, obviously we're recording this 1230 on Sunday, a little after lunchtime. Um, so there's a chance that you're listening to this after the Philly series. And if the Mets get blown out on Sunday and the rubber match against the Phillies, probably be speaking a a little bit of a different tune come Monday morning. But overall, I don't think anyone's worried. Like, I don't think anyone has any concerns about this team. They're on pace to win 105 baseball games right now. They have not slowed down. They have the best record in New York city and the second best record in baseball, they'd have the best record in baseball if the Dodgers weren't on a 12-game winning streak right now, basically. Yeah, they're better than the Yankees. It's, I mean, New York has become a Mets town. Um, sort of. People are saying that. Many people are saying that. Um, I mean, people are saying that. The Yankees have been talking about it. Yankees have been a 500 baseball team for like two months now. So they got rid of Joey Gallo, and and I think. With him, they've lost. Uh, they've lost something special. Whether Yankee fans want to admit it or not, what are they now? Like two and eight since they got rid of him. Like they just started. They won last night, but before that, they were like really on a. They're on some. They're on some. They, uh, yeah. They, uh, they, they lost two series to the Mariners, which was I guess sandwiched a sweep in mm-hmm. St. Louis. Yeah. Um, this is not a Yankees podcast, but no. this is not a Yankees podcast. However. It is a little bit cathartic, as is always the case when the Mets are doing well and the Yankees are doing not as well. Um, it's fun for the little brother. So, yeah, we're on. It's it's I think just to your point, too, about the hitting um, a comp that I get a, that like I hear a lot. is like that I, I just it's been thrown around a lot that this team is basically the 2015 Kansas City Royals. Uh, I think that's a little bit and maybe it's because the Royals sank us. Right. So like, maybe it's something that to, to a certain extent, like if it were true, even we wouldn't really want to admit, but I don't really think it's like the, the, the on base is not, you know, the Royals simply never drew walks. Uh, the yeah. Mets do draw walks. There uh, are some like cherry pick stats that back that up, but it's not the whole picture. Yeah. The Royals also were a team that basically were, it was a merry-go-round of base hits. What the Mets do, I mean, you see this with the, and obviously also with Alonzo in the door there and the RBI totals they have, they're finding holes in time for those guys to come up and empty the chamber. That's that's what's been happening. Someone gets into a pitch after two or three guys beat the shift or, or find a hole. That's not unsustainable. I mean, obviously getting seeing eye hits is is a matter of, luck to some extent but if it keeps happening over and over again like it's not like they aren't trying to do it and the idea too that i heard a lot of um this this that had been bandied about mostly by salty braves fans that this simply isn't sustainable in the playoffs that like they're not going to keep this up in october it's like well first of all the Mets are more likely to keep up what they've been doing in October than the Braves are to keep up what they've been doing because teams below 500 do not play in October. Um, the Braves are probably in for a much ruder awakening, but also like, what about the playoffs changes any of what the Mets are doing? Like you think that, you know, people don't 
people shift more intelligently in the playoffs. Like the Mets have played teams that know how to shift. It's not like, it's not like they're, they're getting lucky because teams aren't prepared or aren't ready. Like balls will still hit bases in the playoffs. Like pitchers will still get knocked out. The Mets have been knocking pitchers out before the fifth inning, like all year. Like what about the playoffs changes that I, I don't, I don't understand that point at all. And to further add to that, the Mets don't need to be a high octane offense during the playoffs because the playoffs are set up in such a way that teams can use their best pitchers more often. Yeah. And the Mets have a very top heavy pitching staff, both in the rotation and in the bullpen. Yeah. Like we don't have to be giving as many innings in the playoffs to Seth Lugo and Joely Rodriguez. Right. As we are right now like we don't like that's how this works is yeah. that in a short series if the Mets and the Braves match up in the LDS if you know what however that would be possible format wise if the Mets and the Braves match up in the NLDS in a best of five the Braves get DeGrom Scherzer Bassett maybe Walker and then DeGrom again like yeah. that's how this works the Mets can score four runs a game in the playoffs and win every game four to one or four to two. Yeah. Yeah. And Carlos Carrasco coming out of the bullpen for a long relief or, or, or potentially Tyler McGill, if, if this, you know, transition works well for him, those are better guys than like Jake Odorizzi. You know what yeah. I mean? Not like the Braves necessarily have the depth to hang. I think that I understand that when you're watching your team get, you know, hit balls that have like 820 expected batting averages or whatever, and guys are catching them. And then while you're in the field, they're hitting little dinkers and they're finding holes that like, it feels like you're playing better baseball than the team that's beating you. But like, that's just kind of what the Mets have been doing all year. And all that matters is you win the games, right? I, I don't think Braves fans really care at all to hear about how bad their team was on paper compared to the other nine teams that made the playoffs last season because they won the world series right it doesn't matter that they won like 87 games and made it like the fact is they won the world series if the Mets are winning these games I think that's ultimately that's 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 what this is all about um the 2015 Royals won the world series like obviously the comp sucks because it's inaccurate but also like if you're going to compare the Mets to world series team that's that's part of the equation um so I don't know. That's that's sort of the last that's kind of the last of what I have to say about Braves Twitter melting down and, and generally just kind of crying the whole time. And there's a series coming up where the Braves could sneak back into this. So it's not over per se, but like yeah. the Mets took four or five that series because they played better baseball. Yeah. Um, and that's and and if it had been the other if the shoe had been on the other foot and the Braves had done this to the Mets, I would have been saying the same thing. The Braves struck out maybe 60 times in that series. The Mets struck out like 35 times. Only there's a statistic that I need to pull up because it's huge, as you can imagine. Um, but the Braves pitching staff, essentially, like in these 12 matchups, and Sam, if you see it, let me know. Um, in these 12 matchups or so, the Braves have like, they've only been able to get quality starts out of their starting pitchers, I think, three times. The Mets had two just in that five-game series alone. Like the Mets are far better equipped to, to go a nine inning game and hang than the Braves are. Um, and that five game series showed it. I feel a lot better about this upcoming four game series. Cause it's not like, you know, the Braves pitchers are getting any better or the Mets hitters are getting any worse. Like Lindor is still hitting Alonzo is still hitting. Um, Nimmo, I guess is in a bit of a slump. 
uh, and the catcher position is still a catcher position. But again, like, yeah, they're in a better spot now. Their roster is more stacked now than it was at the beginning of this year. Uh, than it was their first winning streak, like after Memorial Day. Like the team's been getting better every day. And that's, uh, I mean, for one thing, it's it's extremely entertaining. But for another, I mean, it's it's kind of the hallmark of a baseball team that's going to do really well in October, that they're continuously improving. They're getting further and further away from the 500 mark. I mean, they're now 34 games over. Uh, not many Mets teams in history have done that to this point. Um, and the ones that have have typically been very successful uh, in the postseason. So I don't know. I, I – uh, and I think for the first time watching Braves fans doubt my team, I sort of understood like how I sounded. Um, so naturally it was, it was kind of a, it was an even bigger series for me in that regard. Cause it was my own little wake up call, but like, this do is you really think, here's my question. Do you think that like Spencer Strider who made the headlines for saying to the media that he thinks the Mets, you know, they're on, they're, they're getting lucky and, you know, are they gonna? Is that gonna sustain in October? Whatever, go shave your mustache or something. Um, do you think that Strider and Braves fans have considered yet that maybe the Mets just have that dog in them? Well, he doesn't have the medical records. Uh, he doesn't have the he doesn't have the files on them. He wouldn't know. I mean, he wouldn't get it. He plays for a team that doesn't. Uh, it yeah. would. You can't assess whether someone has the dog in them if you don't know what it looks like what the dog in someone looks like uh this Braves team just you know they got a couple guys that got the dog in them uh yeah. like Austin Riley even Strider well Harris and Vaughn Grissom have that dog in them like the Braves yeah. are gonna be good for a very very long time it's not that they're a bad team but like does does um you know does Jake Odorizzi have that dog in him does AJ Minter have that dog in him? Uh, he's been good. Nah, he he's 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 on and off. I don't know. I think that he's not what he was last year. Um, I got my opinions. Their bullpen is probably better than the Mets bullpen. But again, like I didn't mention this. Did you know that the Mets haven't the bullpen has not allowed an earned run since last Saturday? That's a good stretch. Twelve and two thirds scoreless innings in a row. And like I think that I don't really trust Joelli that much. He might be onto something with the changeup, though. Like the Mets might be onto something, making him spam it. Um, they still needed another lefty any way that you cut this. And like, I don't even know if he makes the postseason bullpen. If if the guys coming back come back when they do, I think he might get like bumped out of that picture, or at least on the merit of ability itself, he would be. But maybe he makes it just because he's the lefty. But like, yeah, you know, I think he, I think he's pretty safe. Like if you're if you're looking at a right-handed reliever. And he's got the same exact stat line as Joelli has had this year. Like he's probably a DFA candidate, but yeah. he's a lefty and he's been pitching better lately. So like he's going to stick around, um, which is okay. Also, another point I think is just important to mention quickly about the Mets and their offensive unit. This has not, you know, like <laughs> they still have three of the best offensive performance in the national league including the guy who is i know it's runs batted in whatever it's not as important a stat anymore they have the league leader in rbis who is also third in the national league in home runs and pete alonso he's having a yeah. great year they have a 
star shortstop who has lived up to expectations and then some, especially lately, it feels like he's in MVP conversations and Francisco Lindor, who again, RBIs, yada, 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 weighs one RBI away from having the most RBIs in franchise history by a shortstop in a single season. That's pretty cool. And then Starling Marte has been played great baseball for months now. So like we can talk about the trade acquisitions bumping this offense, but they're still not at this point if the guys that they have trusted all season uh, have would, you know, were faltering. Like they get here because Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso are driving in runs every time they come up in run scoring opportunities. They won yeah. one nothing on Saturday. Pete Alonso drove in a first inning run with a single. That was the only run of the game. He's got a lot of. I think he leads the league in, in like go ahead and game winning RBIs this year by at least like ten RBIs. Yeah. Uh, he's basically got like the the market. He's got a stranglehold over him, uh, which is really cool. I love the the and like listen. I don't agree with it. Uh, but because it's Pete Alonso and it's 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 delivered in a very Pete Alonso tone, uh, what he said yesterday about like RBIs, I thought was very funny. Did you it's, see that? Yeah, he was like when they when I, he was asked about someone they the way they phrased the question was kind of in such a way that like okay we're gonna try to get him with one of these like yes, and they, they softballed him they let they, him crank one. Yeah, they, they got the answer they were looking for. And it was, they basically phrased it. They were like, hey, Pete, um, RBIs aren't valued anymore, but you're really good at getting them. What do you have to say about that? And he was like, yeah, obviously RBIs are valuable because it's a run scoring competition every day. So well, there was think- that. And then, he, and then he goes, so I don't think the people that don't value RBIs really know anything about baseball. They don't know ball. They don't know ball. Hey, Pete, what do you have to say to all those nerds who say that uh, this statistic that you lead the league in is bogus? Yeah, they don't know ball. That was a good line. That was that was good. Um, that like this year is already just a laundry list of assignments for them when it's over. But like they have at least like five or six players right now that like they need to give a bunch of money to. Oh, yeah. Here. Like a lot of them. Alonzo is very much one of them. They probably should have extended him after his rookie year. Like there were good times to do this. And now we're sort of at the point where it becomes a pissing contest to negotiate with him. But again, like it's not a pissing contest. If you just give them the money they want, you should be giving Alonzo the money he wants. You should be giving Nimmo the money he wants. Even if he's like swinging at the first pitch all the time, which he's done all week. Um, Like he'll come out of it. He's a good player. Um, You should give Edwin Diaz all the money he wants you should give Jacob DeGrom all the money he wants. Like, I, 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 maybe this is a good point in the discussion to pivot from Mets good to Mets have something good, need to protect really, really badly. Um, well, we have Darren, you know, if, if, you know, we have Darren Ruff for the next three years. So, and Dan Volkman for the next three years. So, yeah, that's true. I, but their timelines, they only, they merely overlap with Pete's they'll all be gone at the same time. Um, oh my God. You know, we're going to lose all our, all of our first baseman. All of our, yeah. All our big guys. It's going to, yeah. But all then our big guys. Like, they should just, they should just extend all of that. Uh, especially when like you don't get Juan Soto and you don't get Shohei Otani at the deadline. Uh, you know, 
you gotta you gotta make that up to Mets fans a little bit. You know, it's just kind of a what have you done for me lately business. And yeah, it is. I still think like this. Obviously, this is not an off season podcast right now. We're very much in season. I think that they're gonna trade for Rafael Devers this off season. I I have been saying that um, off the podcast to people around me for weeks. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe I'm getting. Is that first of all, okay, not a Red Sox podcast, but the Red Sox are going to Mookie the hell out of Devers. They are absolutely going to trade him going into his walk here. And whoever trades for him is going to extend him. They are going to do that with Devers. Like that is so clear in my mind because that is what the Red Sox have been doing for a long time now. That's their MO. They did it with Mookie. There were Rafael Devers trade rumors around the deadline. Not the right time to trade him, but I think I fully think they're going to do it in the offseason. And I think that the New York Mets putting this in stone right now are going to be right in the middle of those conversations. And I think they have a great chance to match up on a deal for, for Devers. It'll probably take a baity. Yeah. But I think it could happen. So putting that out into the ether now that, yes, I agree with you. Throw the bag at Edwin. Throw the bag at Pete. Lock him up. If there's a deal with Nimmo, lock him up. But also go and trade for Rafael Devers because that would be a great acquisition. Um, like do everything you got to do to fortify this roster for the next few years and build a sustainable product. But I think that it gets even more sustainable um, if you're bringing in a superstar to match up on the left side of the infield with Lindor, like uh, Rafi. That would be really cool. I think that could happen. I also wouldn't discount the possibility of the Mets actually really going down that Otani path and trying to work something out there because Billy Epler seemed that seems to be his big white whale is bringing Otani with him to New York. So um, obviously we'll see when the offseason comes around, but I agree with you back to the previous point. Now that I'll, I'll get off my soapbox of dreams of Rafael Devers, but no, it would be, a, it would be a great deal. It would also merit like giving up a prospect much more so than any of these conversations about Francisco Alvarez for Wilson Contreras. Like, Oh, absolutely. Getting a guy long-term, long-term, probably a, definitely a better player than, than Contreras. Um, and you'd be giving up a prospect, but at the same time, like it is Raphael Devers. Um, it's a little bit more akin to the Juan Soto discussions where like, you just, you know, that this guy's good already. It doesn't matter if the guy you give up might also be good because you're trying to, I, I, I think it, it makes almost too much sense for them to go after Devers. Yeah. Um, like, like third base, third base is a spot that has been more or less, a black hole for the Mets since David Wright um, stopped being a productive major leaguer. Uh, It's still not a hole that they've really reliably plugged. Eduardo Escobar has had a very meh year. Um, Luis Guillorme has fallen back to, to planet earth over the past couple of months. Like if there's a spot on this team, that's just not getting a whole lot of production besides the catcher position, it's third base. Um, even unless you consider Mark Canna to be an answer over there now. (laughs) Yeah, Um, (laughs) that was pretty cool. I was, I was kind of amused seeing that. Yes. Yeah, it was, yes, he made a play or two. It was amusing. I think is the great, the big, the best way to, um, describe that he played third base in a pinch. First time he played third base since 2016. That was cool. I'm glad that Escobar and McNeil seem mostly okay and not injured list bound. 
uh, at least in McNeil's case, Escobar still dealing with his side, whatever. But yeah. like, I, I think Brett Beatty's a really good prospect. I think he is a top 30 prospect in baseball, roughly at this point. He got brought up to AAA earlier this week. It was probably two weeks past due when he should have been because he had been yeah. the best, the best hitter in double a baseball for the better part of two months. Like he'd been tearing crap up down there in Binghamton uh, and was, had clearly evolved past the need to be at that level anymore. And he's adjusted. He's had a good first few days in triple in a um, we'll see how he adjusts to that level. Him and Alvarez, I think could be long-term fixtures for this team. Uh, the glove is still not great with Beatty. I think he grades out eventually to probably average at third base. Uh, but the bat is good. The bat is going to be going to be good. I think he could be a long-term fixture for this team. But if you're asking me if I would rather have Brett Beatty playing third base long-term for the New York Mets or Rafael Devers playing third base long-term for the New York Mets, it's really not a matter of discussion. I'll take the uh, MVP candidate, the proven guy, any day over the prospect. Um, and that's just the fact of the matter. So we'll see how that shakes out. They do need to lock some guys up. I think that you need to start talking to Edwin now. If he'll negotiate now, throw five and a hundred at him. Like, why not? Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is, like, obviously, we say this every year. Everyone says this every year. They say it like it's a new thing, and it's not a new thing. Relievers are fickle. Um, yeah. He'll very likely next year be a little bit worse than he was this year, simply because of how good he's been this year. But, like, who else are you going to develop who else are you going to acquire? I mean, this is basically as good as it's going to get for you um, as far as on-the-market options. Uh, you'll probably need to pay him a little bit more to get him out of the free agency waters because he's definitely looking at a payday. I don't think there are much, there is much in the way of closers quite like him uh, that are on the free agent market right now. Like, you should definitely... But you should take that risk. Like, you should give them more than than market value. I mean, they did this for Lindor. We heard about this yesterday because our good friend Andy Martino reminded us just how much they overpaid for Francisco Lindor. You know, all that money wasted. But, like, who cares? Money does not matter to this team. It, it, it hasn't since they extended Lindor. It's been very clear. They extended Lindor. And then they signed Scherzer that offseason on top of Marte, on top of Canna, on top of Escobar. Like, they will shell out whatever they need to. Luxury tax doesn't matter. Uh, it is literally an object. They should, if, if, if Diaz wants too much money, give him too much money. It, I promise you there is no such thing as too much with this team. Um, the only thing that you're really risking taking any sort of gamble with his ability if he's actually going to be good over those five years and I think you still pay you should still pay simply on principle that you won't know if you don't pay him yeah the, the other issue here in lies the fact that the only guy that's on contract for next year in the bullpen right now is like Drew Smith so yeah they're you, all need to, you need to kind of lock up a couple relievers maybe um that would probably be pretty beneficial to this team just so that you don't have to build a bullpen from scratch um, in, you know, four months. So that would probably be of benefit to this um, team. So while we're on the Edmund Diaz train of thought, the baseball world has been obsessed with Edmund Diaz for better part of two, three weeks now because of his walking song. Um yes. 
Narcos by Timmy Trumpets or uh, whatever. Plaster Jacks and Timmy Trumpet. Yeah. Uh, yeah all right. Just it's cool. It. It's a good yeah. song. It's, so, it's, it's not even song. That's the thing. The song is like 33% of it, I think. But the song is great. The song bangs. Well, um, it's, it's the trumpets. It's, it's the uniqueness of the intro. Um, and it has very quickly. Okay, I would say quickly, but here's the thing. Edwin has walked into that song for like two full seasons now. Yeah, at least. It's, it's but he's, you know, I mean, I think there was coming into that song last year. This year, there's coming in to that song. Like, it's like, because I think on one hand, it's the trumpets. It's just the the appeal that that has, the humor there is in that, right? When Mr. and Mrs. Matter just like, going to town on it and everyone is pretending to be louis armstrong like that's 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 awesome that's i that's like my favorite part of going to a game um is pretending i'm playing the trumpet um not really but like there's that there's also the fact that a meme where it was like you know i think it's the episode where like a clam like steals mr Krabs's dollar when they're going fishing or something and like, oh yeah yeah play the music this and like, about, mr yeah. Krabs freaks out because he knows as soon as he hears the music that the clam is coming but the music is edwin diaz's music like i did see that on twitter that's really that's quality that's quality um yes it's also good for that reason but it's it's i think the third thing about it is like it combines the Edwin Diaz experience with the watching Edwin Diaz experience. So that if you're at that game, um, you almost in a sense get to contribute to the, the energy around a shutdown closer coming in. It's a shared experience. I think the Orioles took note of this and sort of adopted a WWE style thing for Felix Bautista, um, which in itself is also really cool. Like they have the lights like flickering a lot uh, to sort of unsettle do you remember when the Angels had Hansel Robles? Yes. Yes. And they had a they had a very eclectic, weird, but similar in that kind of vein introduction yeah. for him. They did yeah. this with a couple pitchers. They ha- also had a weird like what did Hansel? It was Ty Buttry. Yes, yeah, yeah, so Ty Buttry had like a butter thing. But, yes, yeah. it was that was what I was that was what I was gonna say. It's Ty Buttry, who's I think left the game of baseball, but like he walked out and they showed like butter on the screen, like because his last name was Butt Tree, Buttery. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hansel, what was it? Goats? With it was the Undertaker theme, and they had like just a a still video of like a white horse running in. It was a white and, horse. Like, rose petals falling off of the horse or something. It was psychedelic. Um but also, if you remember Hansel Robles as a Met, like extremely Hansel Robles energy. Yeah. Um, but I think that every team should have that. Like your best reliever, even if it's not the closer, like he comes in in the seventh inning, right? Like there should just be a spectacle uh, yeah. designed to scare the shit out of the other team, but also get the fans super involved. Like I think the enter Sandman stuff that they did with Mariano Rivera probably is more so a heralding of the guy that's coming in. Um, and that's really cool in its own way. Cause Mo was a legend and a hall of famer and like the best closer of all time. And he can have his thing, whatever. But when Edwin Diaz comes into Narcos, it's, it's a little bit more than that. 
Uh, and I think that the way that it has caught on with the rest of the league, with the rest of the sport, I mean, there's no other sport that allows for something like that for one player. Um, no, you're right. It's so great. Teams it's so adopted. Everyone needs to get on that train like right now because it's awesome. I think closers like, okay, so pitchers, obviously they, they, any pitcher can pick music to enter to. And I think that's great. Um, like Seth Lugo walks out to metal. That's cool. Uh, with like uh, Trevor May, I, Trevor May's got a great one. He's got welcome home by Coheed and Cambria. Great choice. Great choice. Yeah. Um, when it comes to closers specifically and elite closers, it's not just like a reliever entrance music. Like, there is a sense usually asterisk with usually um, like a sense of impending dread that comes with you hearing that music. Um, like yeah. Mariano Rivera, you mentioned it enter Sandman. Cause he's going to put you to sleep. Like that's mm-hmm. a great one. Trevor Hoffman, who's right behind Rivera in all time saves on the record books. Uh, Hell's bells. Another yeah. one that invokes thoughts of, Oh, we're screwed. Um, because this guy's going to finish us off a death yeah. kind of moniker um, right with those bells and enter Sandman so like that kind of thing and then you have Edwin Diaz who's just like it's just like all right let's vibe it's both it's goofy and it's unsettling it's like yes. it's, it's the baseline under it that is very like fire and brimstone but the trumpet is so did you see this last night in the Nationals game yeah uh, that the they um, the the Nats broadcast was coming in from break yeah. and they were doing an ad read. And when they brought the audio back in, the ballpark was playing the trumpet song. Yeah, they it do went, that a lot at Nats Park. They, they do it at a lunch. Like this has Mets been adopted. There and they did that too. Yeah. yeah. This has been adopted at like a bunch of ballparks. Like I heard it in a Cape League ballpark a few yeah. weeks ago. Uh, like this is something that's been adopted across baseball as kind of a hype up song. Yeah. And the Nats broadcasters, after they finished the ad read, and you could hear the song on the airwaves, they're like, okay, I mean, we're not playing the Mets, so Edwin Diaz isn't coming in. If you hear that song, don't worry. We got scared a little bit too. Yeah. They're just using the song to hype up the crowd. But it, it they said something to the effect of, don't, it, it made us feel like he was staring right over our shoulders, like a yeah. like right, right behind me moment kind of thing. At which piece Angelo had like a, 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 a flashback uh, in the booth as that was happening. He just totally like went full on fight or flight. I yeah, think Bob, Bob Carpenter scared for his life. Yeah. Things of that nature, um, <laughs> which I think that's hysterical because that is the perfect, I think, example of this marriage between song and closer yeah. that he's been a so dominant. And B, so tied to this song because of how fun the song is that they go hand in hand with each other. You can't hear that song now, no matter the setting, and not think about Edwin Diaz. And not not only think about Edwin Diaz, but think about Edwin Diaz being the closest thing to a reliever who's a Cy Young candidate that we've had in baseball in like a decade. Yeah. Maybe since Gagne, I would say. Um or like maybe Kimbrel had a year in like the early 2010s, but it's, it's, yeah, he's definitely getting a, a third place vote or two. Like people will recognize how good this year was if he keeps it up. Um, I think the other thing 
about Diaz too is that like, oh my God, am I am I like am I just forgetting what I was just about to say? I might have just been, I might have just forgotten what I was gonna say. We're just vibing. I I hardly remember now just how bad he was in 2019. There was a point. Oh where, my God! Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, the, that that's also part of it, too. Like, it's this blooming uh, that's taking place before us. Like every time he comes in, um, you know, it, it was it was more than I think the guy that Brody Van Wagen and traded for. I think the Brody memes on it are very funny, too. Like, I no longer care about the trade. Just the Brody W uh, memes are great. Yeah. Brody uh, won the trade. He had an ERA above five in 2019. People forget that. Yeah. That he was like a, like a, his factory setting in 2019 was bad fastball command and hanging sliders. Yes. He'd walk a couple guys and then give up a homer. That was his MO. Like he was not a reliable closer, but he's been like the pretty, he's been good though since then. 2020, he was fine. Last year, he was good. This year, he's been elite. Yeah. I remembered what I was going to say about uh, about Edwin, by the way. And it's Go not even an Edwin thing, but SNY, this is the other thing that's great, is SNY has now leaned into the bit. Because um, every time he comes into the game, and Apple TV, they did the broadcast on Friday, and they knew the assignment. Like, they did it too. They just, they don't go to an ad break. They have, they have someone follow him with a camera as he comes in from the bullpen while the song plays, and everyone, you know, goes crazy. And, and um I think that's also really fun and really cool. Uh, and I'm, it, it adds something to the Edwin Diaz rise in itself. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's, it's not even that he's really good. It's that he's now this, um, this spectacle. He might be my favorite player on the team. Uh, and this tribute that they roll out every time he comes in is honestly the thing that has catapulted him to the top of my list. And this is a team where you could conceivably have like five or six favorite players. Um, one of whom, Jacob deGrom, might be worth talking about at some point. I don't know if if we've used all the bullets on Edwin, but... I think, yeah, I mean, I think we covered the bases on Edwin. With deGrom, first of all, he's back. Yeah. <laughs> he's so back. Yeah. Uh, this guy, not only is he... Like, obviously... Still on a bit of a pitch count, still trying to build him up, but he hasn't really held himself back. Um, no. I mean, this the the first start in Washington was like okay, it was like all right, he's back. He's still kind of leaning into it a little bit. The two starts since then, he's been marvelous. Um, yeah, like the start against the Braves where he went the first five perfect innings five and two thirds and then a walk and a homer. And then he got bounced, whatever um, that happens, but he 12 strikeouts and five perfect innings. That was an emotional game. That was, I, I, that might've been the highlight of the brave series, even more so than Edwin ending it, which I thought was just euphoric, but like. DeGrom coming in and the, the cameras basically tracking simple man while the booth was quiet. I thought that was really special. Uh, because it's been a while. We didn't really, I think, acknowledge uh, the first time that he came back. It really didn't dawn on me, at least, when he was pitching at the Nationals in his first game. 
that it was really that he was really that he had really returned. I think there was still an air of trepidation around like, is he going to be OK? Is he going to be fine the next inning? And then the second game happens and he's really there. And then he just he was so phenomenal that second game. There are at least like a dozen statistics on that slider and the swing and miss numbers on it that I saw throughout Twitter that I won't uh, I won't belabor the point to read just because everyone knows him. Like the Braves basically could not touch that pitch and he only threw the fastball in the slider. He didn't throw anything else. And that team had no answer. Um, every strikeout was crazier than the last one. Uh, that was, that was such a good game. Um, he's really, yesterday was good too, but like, I think last Sunday was really the first time that it, uh, occurred to me in full that uh, that he was like really there, yeah. Uh, and I hope he's there for a long time. That's I the hope other. so too. Yeah, he followed up that performance with six shutout, two hit innings last night against the Phillies, in which he struck out ten. Like three starts for Degrom, he's been truly phenomenal. Uh, he only threw seventy six pitches in those six innings last night too. Like if he wasn't on a pitch count, you're looking at a start where he probably could have gone eight, maybe nine, depending on how efficient yeah. he is in the end of that game. Uh, I saw a stat last night on Twitter. I think this was from Jeremy Frank, um, who does good work. It was like through his first three starts since coming off the IL, DeGrom has thrown 58 balls yeah. out of the strike zone. Um, are pitches that have been ruled balls. Yeah. And he has 55 swings and misses. Yeah. 55 whiffs, 58 balls. And then he followed that up by saying that six of the balls that he's thrown were ruled by StatCast to have been miscalled as should have been called strikes. Like, umpires got him wrong. So, in actuality, hitters have only taken 52 pitches out of the strike zone, and he has gotten 55 swings and misses. Yeah. Yeah, it's – it's it, they get crazier every time. I think that's the best part of every start is I read something that's like unbelievable than the last one. Like you get deeper into the, the archives with the amounts of times that things have happened or like the players involved in, you know, the, the, the statistic that DeGrom has, has dredged up. Uh, Mike Meyer posted one that was like a since 1903 stat. I'm going to try and find it because I screenshotted it. Mike is always on point with these, by the way. Like I get most of my stats from him. Um, it's, it's, I think, yeah, if you have stat head, uh, it's probably extremely easy to find stuff like this. Here it is. Lowest ERA in Major League Baseball history in home games. And it's 500 innings pitch minimum. And these are all dudes from like before integration. It's like Jacob deGrom's at 2.09. And then there are only four people ahead of him uh, or three people. He's tied with a guy named Eddie Plank uh, at 2.09. Then 2.08, Joe Benz. 2.05, Walter Johnson. Sure. 2.04, Jim Scott. This is like we're now at a point where he's doing something that nobody has ever done in the era of try and hit the ball, uh, out of the infield. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, he, I think my favorite one, at least just from a, a Met fan perspective is the most double digit strikeout games in Met history. Cause he has a chance to break that this year. Um, Doc Gooden is third on this list with 46. Um, DeGrom is 55. And mind you, that's in under 1,300 innings. And Tom Seaver, who, was, who threw like 
He threw 30, he threw 3,045 and two thirds innings in his career as a Met. He has 60 double digit strikeout games. Huh. Like That's DeGrom, incredible. DeGrom's going to catch him. I think. Yeah. Last I night was year. 50, 55. Yeah. He yes. got 55 last night. Yes. Um, DeGrom, I think that last night was his 201st career start. Yeah. And he's got 55, 10 or more strikeout games in 201 starts. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Pretty good. Like, he obviously has been injured so often in his career. That is a, a thing that has plagued him. Obviously, when he came back, it was the first time in, like, 13 months that he had thrown a major league pitch. Uh, but when he's been healthy, he has been so unbelievably good for so long. Um, and he probably only needs two or three more all-star level seasons to be a hall of famer. And then once he's in the hall of fame, the conversation becomes, all right, is this guy an inner circle hall of famer? Because few pitchers in baseball history, especially few pitchers in modern baseball history have been better. Um, And he, he's just amazing to watch. And obviously like, I, I think every Mets fan at this point is conditioned to expect the worst when he comes out and pitches like, Oh, he's through five perfect innings. Oh, why is he not going back out to the mound? Oh, his shoulder hurts. Right. Um, like we're we're all expecting that at some point. But if that doesn't happen and they bring him back for next year and for the years after that, like if they extend him after he opts out and he's able to stay healthy for the twilight of his career, twilight of his career, I say about a 34-year-old who is still pitching at elite levels, yeah. um, it, then watch out because this guy is on a hall of fame track and then some, and um, he might, he might be able to lead the Mets to the promised land at some point. And it's special to think about that. We're, we're so lucky to, to be the fan base that gets to watch this guy every fifth day um, when his body is cooperating with him. Yeah. I don't really know what he has to do um, to make the hall of fame. I think, I think the framework that you've laid out is probably in line with, what it is uh he needs to have like three more years where he's doing something like what he did at at least in 2018 and 19 um because you have to you have to actually like create a track record of being that elite you can't just have like a brandon webb stretch like everyone right now just thinks of him as like brandon webb he needs a little more i think but um i'm also thinking about what needs to be done for him to end up going because right now i mean hall of fame in the baseball discussion thing is I think like has a lot of merits and is probably the most important thing, but you also wonder how much he really needs to do to be considered like the best pitcher in Met history. Cause Tom Seaver is the best player in Met history, but, um, and I think, I don't think you'll ever be able to convince anyone uh, who watched Seaver that DeGrom is better but DeGrom is doing things that Seaver didn't do, and he's doing them against hitters who were better than the hitters Seaver ever faced. And if he does it for two or three more years and, and racks up strikeout totals, like he's probably already like, I would say the second best pitcher in Met history and maybe like a top four player all time in Met history, like Mount Rushmore. But um, I'd also just like to see how far he can take that aspect of his legacy because it's it's easily like the most special thing I've ever seen as a fan. Uh, and I really don't want it to end. 
I think yeah. even if he's healthy, right. I mean, for us, you mentioned we're thinking like worst case glass half empty all the time. Like when he's pitching and he comes out of games, I'm always thinking like, oh man, he's hurt. It's done. It's whatever. Even when he's healthy, let's say he has a clean bill of health the rest of the year, does everything he he's all done i'll still be under the impression that he's leaving like i will always yeah. assume this is going to end soon because there's it's it's it it really does feel too good to be true um yeah that's that's the cloud that's hanging overhead right now yeah. is that even if he finishes the season healthy and elite this guy's gonna opt out and he might take his talents to atlanta next year or head closer to home like this guy grew up a Braves fan in yeah. central florida like he could, he could just leave for a division rival or for any of the other 29 teams in baseball. Like there's a chance that this is the end of DeGrom's Mets tenure. And you hope he just finishes like, not to say that it wouldn't be not to say they would be worth it. If the Mets hoist the championship trophy and then he leaves, it would, I think, soften the blow a little bit. Yeah. Um, like you want to, you want him to be able to finish that tenure on the highest of highs I think right. this is a team that has championship aspirations, obviously. Um, and it would be cool if, in general, it would be really cool if they win a championship. Um, because I think that would be a lifelong dream for just so many Mets fans. They haven't done that in 35 years. But, like, not to belabor the point. Right. This is all to say we want Jacob deGrom to stick around long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I I think that the only other thing that I would really add to this discussion at all about Jake, um, besides give him whatever money he asks for, because we know that money is just an object, and I'll say that every time, like give him the Scherzer contract. Yeah, give him Scherzer, give him Scherzer plus. Like I'm sure Scherzer would be fine with that too. It's not like you know he loves when other players make money. Um, you should give him fifty million average annual if he wants it like you should just do it to keep him here because not only I think yes if DeGrom stays or stays this year and the team wins a world series and he goes off on that that is enough of a legacy um the Mets have only won a world series twice in their franchise history he'd be a part of the third it would be satisfying to know that someone who was coming up when the team first made it to the world series actually got something out of that experience by the time he was gone, that he got back a lot better than he was before and actually took what was his, like that would be great. But I also uh, mentioned this and I will propose this to Met fans. um, And it's something that I've never really thought about. Um, but I think in the context of like this team having a chance at winning the World Series and this player having a chance at being one of the best in Mad history uh, to ever wear orange and blue, I think it's important to consider that the Mets have never been a dynasty. They have never successfully uh, been the best at what they did for multiple years. Uh, they have never been the talk of the town. They've never owned the league. Eight, 1986 was a great year for them because it was essentially one whole year where no one else in the game was better than them. But you look at what other teams like the Yankees have done in the past. You look at what teams like the Red Sox and Cardinals have done in the past. Like the Mets still don't have to their name as a franchise an era of greatness, of repeated greatness. If DeGrom wins this World Series with this team and he sticks around, you have a chance at doing something that you have never done in your six years as a franchise. And I think that that's something that 
would be really obviously interesting to see and to see how that kind of interacts with like baseball history itself but it'd be great for the fans because I think like I'm almost just to go back to this glass half empty thing like right if DeGrom is a great year I'm just going to assume he's leaving in the same way that I feel that way if the Mets win a World Series this year I'm assuming I'm not going to see one again for another 40 years um yeah and I don't want to feel after I've seen a World Series like I'm never going to see one again yeah like therein lies the curse I the true curse I think of Mets fandom like is that listen the Mets have been around for 60 years and they have given us two championships they have given us many very good teams but here's the thing with the team is that though the Mets have this reputation of mediocrity they are not always mediocre they do occasionally provide winning teams and when, but the thing is that when they do provide winning teams it is never sustainable and that is part of the reputation for mediocrity they have won two championships both of those championships came as monoliths in their eras. Yeah. Uh, they have only twice in their history made the playoffs in consecutive seasons, and neither of those times did they hoist a championship. 1999 and 2000, and then 2015 and 16. 2006, they had a championship-caliber season that ended in heartbreak, the following season, they were well on their way to the playoffs, and then they collapsed late. Yeah. So that's the thing, is that they build good teams from time to time. It never winds up sustaining as long as maybe it should be. 86, mm-hmm. 108 wins a championship. 87, they missed the playoffs. Mm-hmm. 88, made the playoffs, might have had a better team than 86. A nightmare NLCS loss to the Dodgers. Like, and then never made it back. And like, then never, then didn't make it back to the post. Went out. Then didn't make it back to the postseason until 1999. Yeah. So that's the thing about this team is that we're, we're, the good team. We're so used to the good teams being aberrations. Yes. That it would be a genuine surprise, a welcome one but a surprise nonetheless if the Mets built a legitimate, sustainable winner. They have never had a period of dominance in their history that lasted longer than one to two seasons at most. They have never built a a stretch of dominance even close to what the Dodgers have right now with the the consecutive playoff berths, the consecutive – NL West championships. I know that streak broke last year. They still won 107 games, made the playoffs. Yeah. Or 106, whatever it was. Um, so there you go. Like they have never had that stretch. Uh, even like making the playoffs three years in a row is something that has just never happened in this team's history. So um, you want that to change and you hope it does change. And you hope it changes sooner rather than later. You hope that if they win 100 games this year, they go out and they win 100 games next year. And they go out and win 95, 100 wins the following season, and so on and so forth. You want them to be at the top of the NL East every single year. I'm not saying they have to win the division 20 times in a row like the Braves did, but if they can go out and make the playoffs every year for the next decade or eight out of the next 10 seasons, then that's something that the Mets fans aren't very used to. 
Yeah. And I think it goes a long way to bring back the players that you have here mm-hmm. um, who have been mainstays in the franchise for a long time and make it so it doesn't feel as much of this like transitional phase. Like if you have players here who have been here through both periods of winning like DeGrom in 2015 and 16 and then periods of mediocrity in the years since um, and they've been here the whole time then it feels a lot less like, okay, there's a hard stop on the mediocrity. And it feels more like we built into something. Yeah. Yeah. And which then you is, committed and you kept doing it. Yeah. Which is more satisfying for the fans. Right. Um, obviously we brought in a whole bunch of new personnel this off season that has helped this team get over the hump, but um, there's still enough previous talent here that it feels like um you know a reward for Mets fans enduring the past few seasons like it it feels deserved yeah I just there's payoff yeah absolutely I just I wouldn't want what happened after like 2006 or 2000 for example um to happen again because as you said they've brought in a lot of great personnel Part of why they've had to do that is because they don't really have, um, you know, a whole lot in their system that they know how to develop. Like if, if you're still at a point where you don't really have the prospect capital, obviously Beatty and Alvarez are Beatty and Alvarez. Um, you don't have that many pitchers like coming up who are going to be anything close to a DeGrom or a Scherzer, maybe even a Bassett for that matter. Like if you're not in that position, like those other teams were, you need to retain and continue to, I think, work with and get results out of the talent that has gotten you as far as it has this year. Because um, if you don't and those guys leave, you're going to you're going to go back into a dark age. I don't really see this team ever accepting a dark age, just given how much money they have at their disposal. But um, they really need to rely on that until – uh, they know because I think with the Dodgers, part of what's good with them is that they have the money to throw at people, but they will also develop great players, great pitchers who they can either trade for a Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, like they did last year, or can grow into MVP candidates the way like Cody Bellinger did, or Cy Young candidates the way Walker Bueller did. Yeah. Um, you know yeah. what I mean? So that's like until the Mets get to that point where they're really, really like Dodgers East, it's got to be money. Yes, like the the Mets in order in order to build a sustainable winner in 2022 in baseball nowadays, you need to have you know enough resources um, to be able to bring in accomplished major leaguers, but you also need to be able to develop. Like like to your point with the Dodgers, people forget the Dodgers traded away Jordan Alvarez and O'Neill Cruz. Yeah. Like those are two prospects the Dodgers just traded away for rather inconsequential pieces. Um, like Jordan Alvarez, they traded for Josh Fields. Yeah. So, and that they still took the hit and are still the best team in baseball. So, um, cause they still have guys coming up like, um, Miguel Vargas came yeah. up recently. Mitch White. Or no, they yeah. traded Mitch White. They traded Mitch White to the Blue Jays. But like, Justin May is still a work in progress, but he'll be very good when he's healthy. Like, same thing. Yeah. I mean, like, they can turn, uh, Yancy Almonte into a, decent major league reliever like and then they can also develop uh, 
I don't know. There's just there's just a lot of examples. Like they have yeah. a, they have a great catching prospect who has broken out this year, Cartaya Miguel. Or, um, mm-hmm. Like it's just nonstop with them. So you need like and then the Braves on the other hand are another great example yeah. of the Braves develop hitters better than I think almost any other organization in baseball. Like yeah. Michael Harris and Vaughn Grissom being able to be productive major league hitters at 21 when they have barely a cup of coffee and double a under their belts yeah. is a testament to the Braves organization and how they develop guys. Spencer Strider is a, a win for their development. Like there you go. There's more examples there. Uh, I think let's remember some guys quickly and then uh, get out of here. Yeah, that's, that's a good call. Um, I, so there are a couple guys that like I'm debating remembering. I'm actually like, in the scheme of talking about how far we've come uh, this year and from prior years. Uh, I'm going to remember Jed Lowry. Huh, okay. Oakland Athletics DFA'd and released today, um, whose career is at 37 with the year that he's having probably over. Um he played for the A's for a while. It was a couple stints here and there, um, seven years total among, you know, a, a between them. I think it was three different stints. Um, but he was a Met for a minute. People forget that. Uh, he was Do not people only, forget that? Uh, well, I think people forget that he actually played for nine yeah. games. I think people forget that a lot because most of what he's remembered for is like what he didn't do. Um but it's very fun to look at the Jed Lowry uh, game logs, the 2019 Jed Lowry game logs. We may have remembered him like at, at one point or another. And we've definitely in our history on this podcast talked about Jed Lowry's absence. Re- ultimately, it's a lot deeper than he didn't want to play. Like the Mets didn't let him get surgery on his knee as soon as they signed him and forced him to like just kind of slowly work back from it. Uh, and that was a mistake because it basically never got better, better, excuse me, COVID brain, um, until he signed with Oakland uh, and they let him get the surgery. Uh, in his nine games with the Mets, he never played the field once. He had seven at-bats. Uh, he walked once, so he was eight plate appearances. I tried to find footage of the walk. I can't. Um, he struck out four times. Uh, it was really strange seeing pictures of him September 2019, but it happened a couple times. Um, and I, for one, am grateful uh, for Jed Lowry trying his best, despite the team not really giving him much rope and much to work with during his two years there. And I hope that, I hope that fans uh, realize that uh, before they joke about just, you know, the fact that he didn't because it wasn't really his fault yeah uh they like tried to rush they they were so um against like stubborn against the idea of his contract being potentially a sunk cost that they just completely mishandled that rehab uh yeah really messy they were also super cryptic about what was wrong with his knee because they didn't want to actually reveal that the the course of action for his issue was to get surgery. They simply did not want it. They they Beltron him essentially, um, 
that's a reference to a time that Carlos Beltran got knee surgery against the team's orders uh, and missed like the first four months of a season. And it pissed everyone in the front office off, but it extended his career by like five or six years. And yeah, uh, I didn't think Lowry would play ever again after being a Met, but it turned out that he just had surgery and he got two out of it. And then they traded uh, Beltron for Zach Wheeler, who's pitching against the Mets in like three minutes. Um, yes. Uh, I'm remembering basically the, the Chris Bassett of the 07 to our 06 to 09 era Mets. Um, let's remember John Main a little bit. You know, you know exactly how to treat a fellow podcaster. I am so glad we're remembering John Main. This That's is exactly what I needed. This has cured me. Um, John Main. Go on. This I just, your- I don't have a lot of memories of John Main because he was just so, uh, he's like white bread as a pitcher. Like, like just not a whole lot memorable about him. He got hurt a lot. He had a home run once. Um, he was just very meh. And for that, we will always appreciate John Main. Yeah. What do, you, what do you got on John Main? He kind of suffered from the same thing that like Tyler McGill suffers from now, not physically, but when he was on the mound where like he would get to two strikes with like high fastballs and then just diddle about for three pitches and work the count full every time. So he wore, he slugged, you know, he slogged through his starts. Yeah. Um, and I think that probably had some wear and tear on his arm. He also was not like a, a big prospect or anything. I think they kind of got him in a trade and like added him to their rotation as merely like a depth piece because like Pedro got hurt at one point or something, but he, he, he hung around. Um, I remember, yeah, it was like him and Pelfrey. Like behind like Johan or something, but yeah, he like and Pelfrey were, had, he and Pelfrey, I, I think similar vibes although Pel- Pelfrey because I think simply just based on the matter that Pelfrey was healthier during that era especially yeah. like 08 09 2010 um because he was healthier yeah there's more memories attached to him and he had the specific weirdnesses um like the licking his hand and so on and so forth and the dropping being the ball bad. being bad all right I think we've got about a minute here before we're gonna get kicked out of the zoom so I think this is a good time to Say our goodbyes quick. The Mets um, are starting their finale against the Phillies right now as we're finishing recording. But by the time you guys get your hands on this episode, that series will be in the rearview mirror. The Mets head to Atlanta for four, then to Philly for three, then to the Bronx for two. A difficult but not too difficult nine-game stretch for the Mets coming up. We hope that it goes well for this team. This has been episode 92 of the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. It's in the books. He's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Lebowitz. And Mets fans, have a pleasant day.